All right, here we are in Acts chapter number 10, if you want to stand. <clears throat> now, it's a long chapter, so I will not read the whole chapter. I'm just going to read pieces of it, so you follow along as I jump around here a little bit. But Acts chapter number 10, we'll start in verse number 1. And most of you are familiar with this story. Uh, and if you're not, I, I think it will be easily understandable. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian Band. Now, this is not a musician. He's, he's a Roman you know, soldier over many other soldiers is what that is saying. Notice the description given, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. That's God's description of Cornelius. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming to him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for memorial before God. God's heard your prayer. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. Now look down in verse number 25. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up. I myself also am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found out and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, Ye know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come into one of another nation. That's the law. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Look at verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Now look over in verse 44. We read that, that uh, section there at the beginning of the service. Look in verse 44. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished. The Jews, they were astonished. As many as came with Peter because it on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speaking with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, what can forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then, then prayed him, they him to tarry certain days. Peter 
It's a meeting with Cornelius, one of the great sections uh, in the book of Acts. I'm going to title our message this morning, Cornelius, a good lost man. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, open our hearts. Open our hearts to the truth of the scripture. Speak to us as uh, you always do. May we have listening ears right in this room. There could be some who don't know Christ, good men, good women who are lost. Would you use the message to speak to them? I pray they'd respond as you speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. A good Cornelius, a good lost man. Now, when I was growing up, like probably most, if not all of you, I liked, and I still like, if my heart doctor, Dr. Mingala, would let me, I would eat breakfast cereal. Real breakfast cereal, like Cap'n Crunch. <laughs> and Count Chocula. And Frosted Flakes. And Apple Jacks. And Fruit Loops. And tricks, they're for kids. That's what I would do. The kind of breakfast food that really gets you going in the morning. Each of my favorite breakfast cereals, and I listed probably that's my favorites right there. Each one had one thing in common, and you know what it is. Sugar was the first ingredient on the list. So basically, as a kid, if you were like me, you had sugar uh, and milk in a bowl uh, every morning. I did. Uh, I think, oh yes, Lucky Charms too. Yeah, Lucky Charms. Mm, mm, mm. Now, there was something else about buying cereal back when I was growing up. Because along with this sugary goodness, there was an additional treasure to go with the box of cereal. And that was this. There was going to be in the box some prize. Now, I don't know if they still do that or not because I haven't really looked at cereal boxes. Now, this one doesn't have any indication that it's got anything other. Than, it is gluten-free, by the way. Issues were wondering. But there's no prizes indicated. But back when I was a kid, all the cereal boxes had pictures, elaborate pictures of what was on the inside, the, the prize on the inside of the box. And it could be uh, all kinds of different things. You could have like a, a, a member, like a pencil topper or a plastic figure of some popular uh, cartoon character or uh, some glow-in-the-dark uh, pen maybe or a spy decoder ring or a whistle or, you know, something that just some cheap plastic piece of junk that will catch a kid's eye and will make him want to buy. That's the brand of cereal, mom, I want this week. And as soon as you get it home, you know what you did. Every kid did this. 
stuck his hand in a brand new box of cereal as far as he could go and mill around in there until he pulled out the prize. If you didn't do that, you did not have a proper childhood. That's all I can say. <laughs> I did that so many times. But, but you know, inevitably, we learned the hard way something. We learned this, a life lesson. The picture on the back of the box didn't really match what we found inside. There's always a letdown, wasn't it? Always a little disappointing. Now, if we could only have seen through the box and seen the inside and actually seen what the prize was really, genuinely, then, you know, we may have decided on a different cereal, you know, that week. If we could have seen inside. What, wait a minute. Oh, yeah, if we'd had these. <laughs> if we had these on, then we could have seen. And you know what? These don't do anything either. But they act like they can do it. If I could have had the, this is what I'm wearing, Aaron, in case you didn't see. <laughs> if I had had these, I could have seen on the inside of the cereal box that that prize wasn't worth it. But the truth is, these don't work. And nobody can see on the inside of the cereal box. And so we're just going to have to get whatever we get. Now, there's a verse of scripture that I want you to think about. In 1 Samuel, man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Man looketh on the outward appearance, the Lord looketh on the heart. Now there's two things about that little verse that stand out. Here they are. God is able to see what you and I cannot see. The heart. I can't see it. But God can see it. And the second thing is this. God isn't necessarily impressed with the same things that impress me and you. God's not so impressed on the, about what's on the outside. Because God sees what goes on in our hearts, in our minds. Nothing is hidden from God. And you can fool everyone in this room you can fool everyone you know. You can fool the closest to you. But you can't fool God. Because he sees the hidden man of the heart. And Samuel, in that, that, that verse, is talking about Samuel was looking at all of Jesse's boys. You remember the story? And he was going to choose the new king. And he's looking at all the sons of Jesse as they parade by. And he's looking at which one looked kingly on the outside. Which one, by their physical characteristics, looked most like they would be a good king. And it's then that God said, listen, I'm more concerned about what's on the inside, Samuel, than what people appear to be on the outside. That doesn't mean that God's not concerned with what's on the outside. He never says that. 
He never said, I'm not concerned about what's on the outside. He just says, I'm more concerned and I can see what's on the inside. Now, if you and I had been alive during this period of time and had known this Roman uh, soldier by the name of Cornelius, I, just by the short description we're given, every one of us would have come to this conclusion, this is a good man. We would have seen, at least from the outward appearance that Cornelius carried, he's a man of high morals, he's a man who loves his family, He's a man who loves his fellow men. He's a man who does the right thing. We would see a man who was respected, a man who wouldn't cheat, a man who wouldn't harm anyone. He was a man who was faithful and unashamed of his religious beliefs. In other words, everyone would have pointed to Cornelius and said, now there is a man who knows God and who loves God. There is a man who on the outside, at least as far as I can tell, he's on his way to heaven. All of us would have, uh, all of us by watching him would have come to that conclusion. But God can see more than just the outside. And while the outside is certainly important, the inside is far more important. What was Cornelius on the inside? Was his heart truly right with God? Did he really know God? Or in the terms that we use, was he saved? Was he genuinely on his way to heaven? And that's where we pick up the story of this Roman named Cornelius. So look at verse number one and verse number two of chapter 10. And I want to just point out some things about Cornelius. Number one, I want you to notice his faith because he is called in verse number two, devout. He is a devout man. Devout just means this, uh, yielding a solemn and reverential attention to God in religious exercises. Devout. So Cornelius was one of those many Gentiles evidently in that time that were attracted to Judaism. And he probably attended the synagogue and was taught the scriptures and, and he kept the Sabbath and he, and he kept the other laws that, that came along with Old Testament Judaism. Think of this, this Roman, Roman uh, soldier now attached to Judaism, devout in his attachment and keeping all of the Jewish traditions and rituals and laws. For instance, if he's going to be devout, that means he was keeping all of the Old Testament dietary laws. Have you ever looked at those? Here you go. Certain animals may not be eaten at all. That leaves me out. This restriction includes... The flesh, organs, eggs, and milk of the forbidden animals. Of the animals that may be eaten, the birds and mammals must be killed in accordance with Jewish law. All blood must be drained from the meat or broiled out of it before it is eaten. Certain parts of permitted animals may not be eaten. Fruits and vegetables are permitted but must be inspected for bugs. I like that part. 
Meat cannot be eaten with dairy. Fish, eggs, fruits, vegetables, and grains can be eaten with either meat or dairy. Utensils that have come into contact with meat may not be used with dairy and vice versa. Utensils that have come into contact with non-kosher food may be used with kosher, may not be used with kosher food. This applies only where the contact occurred while the food was hot. Grape products made by non-Jews may not be eaten. Man, that's strict. But he was, he was devout. In fact, it says in verse number two that he feared God. He had this reverence for God. He wanted to do everything that he possibly could do to please God like a child would want to please his father, this reverence towards God. He was, in other words, we would maybe put it this way, uh, Cornelius was as serious at his religion as you are at yours. He was devout. He feared God. It said in verse number two, uh, with all his house. Think of that. He led his family. He led his family in this worship of the true God, Jehovah God. The pagan gods of Greece then and Rome would not be for his family. And so here we have this Roman soldier who's this, I'm assuming, this battle-hardened Roman soldier making certain that his family's brought up under Judaism. And you can imagine this would put him at odds with society around him. Romans and Jews weren't always the best of friends by any means. And I'm sure he felt the pressure to go along with the Romans and the Roman gods and the practices of the Romans and the morals and the religions of Rome and the Roman religions. But he said no to all that because that was far removed from the Old Testament religions for sure, Old Testament Judaism. He's so convinced that Rome has nothing for me and my family. I'm going to make sure that my family understands who Jehovah God is. And I'm going to instill in all my house this belief in God. Not only did he have this great faith and did he lead his family. Evidently, he had some fervor that all of us need. Notice what it says, which gave much alms. See, I don't understand King James, Brother Ted. What does that mean? Lots of money. Much much money. He was a giving man. So, well, I wonder to whom did he give? Well, he gave to those in need, no doubt. He gave to support his synagogue. In other words, his faith was more than just a bunch of words. He lived it. He, it took action. He wasn't selfish or greedy. He gave when it was time to give. Not only that, in verse number two, it says this about this good lost man. He prayed to God always. Think of that. Cornelius, a good lost man, praying to God. So much so that as we read in verse number four, God dispatches an angel to come down and say, Cornelius, I've been hearing all your prayers. According to chapter number 10 and verse number 30, he was fasting. Now, hey, we got to draw a line somewhere. I mean, praying, giving, 
leading your family, but fasting so serious about his faith and his prayers that evidently fasting was a normal part of his life, fervent in his faith. Now, it would make sense to most of the people in the world that any man who lived a life like Cornelius, did what he did, and was devout as obviously he was, was a man who was close to God. Most people would say that a man as religious as this man was, he had to be on his way to heaven. After all, what more could a person do? What more could someone do than be devout and lead your family and give alms and pray? What, how much more religious could any one person be than this description we have of Cornelius? I'm afraid Cornelius is not unlike people who are attending church all over the world today. Because there are, and there may be in this room, people attending church who are devout and serious about their beliefs. There are people who fear God. In other words, they would never, it would never cross their mind to in some way take God's name in vain, either by word or by action. I mean, they genuinely have this respect, this fear of God. They would never disrespect God or God's house. They're right here, maybe even in this room, people who are concerned about their family. They want their children to grow up and know God and, and grow up in church. Maybe even in this room, there are people who, when the offering plate goes by, they put in money. Or they give to some charity. Or they may even possibly tithe. And maybe they pray. And they, when they pray, they even believe that God is hearing their prayers. There are some Corneliuses in this world. I wonder if all of us who really genuinely know Jesus... And our members just here, let's just pick on us because we're right here. Members of this church, Southwest Baptist Church. I wonder if those members right here, us, and us members of Southwest Baptist Church who genuinely know Jesus and were members of this church, if we were more like Cornelius, what a difference it would make. If we were as devout as Cornelius. If, you know, if coming to church on Sunday was more than a ritual. It can, it can become a ritual. It can become something we just do. And if there's nothing better to do, and if there's uh, you know, nothing else going on in my life, I'm going to come to church. And if there's not a good ball game on or something, I'm going to be there. Or if I just am tired and I want to stay home and relax, or I, I just got something else going on. I wonder if all the members of Southwest Baptist Church were as devout as Cornelius obviously was. I'm wondering if this building, if our present facilities could even hold us. If we were as devout as Cornelius. I'm wondering if all the members of Southwest Baptist Church were as serious as Cornelius evidently was about his family and their spiritual well-being. I wonder what changes that might take place right here, right here at Southwest Baptist. 
Certainly you wouldn't, you wouldn't be absent from church so your kid could play in the t-ball tournament. Go ahead. Say amen. Cause you know, it's true. <laughs> well, soccer though, you know, soccer. Yeah. Well, my kid, he's got to do this thing. And you know, it's very important. I know the world's going to collapse if he doesn't play third base. Cornelius wouldn't have done that because he was devout and he was serious about his family. And I wonder if it would make a difference if we were just more like Cornelius, us right here. You know, statistics say this, that 20 percent of the members of any given church tithe on a regular basis, 20 percent on a regular basis, which is the only way you can tithe. There's no such thing as tithing, not on a regular basis. So think of that. If all the members of Southwest Baptist Church were as giving as Cornelius, I wonder what difference it might make right here at this church. Wonder if it'd make a difference. Well, there wouldn't be a need for an all tithe Sunday because every Sunday is all tithe Sunday. Wouldn't have to emphasize one. You wouldn't have to have a moving ahead financial plan or special offerings or anything like that because there'd be so much surplus. <laughs> Can you imagine this? So much surplus, pastor would be saying, now quit. <laughs> Don't pass them this week. We just got way too much. There'd be no mortgage, no debt, no cutting back, no making pleads for giving. A wise man once said this, there are two ways which a Christian may view his money. How much of my money shall I use for God or how much of God's money shall I use for myself? If we were like Cornelius, I'm just saying, if we were as serious as this lost man was about his religion, I'm just wondering if it would make a difference in the way we give as a church. Sunday morning men's prayer meeting, full. Special prayer when the pastor asks for special prayer, or maybe to miss a meal, to fast and pray over something that we're all praying about, very serious about. I wonder if that'd be met with great enthusiasm. It's obvious this. Being a Cornelius Christian would change the complexion of this and any church. And maybe those of us right in this room and I'm talking about myself. Those of us who claim to know Jesus, who claim to know that he is our savior and we're on our way to heaven, maybe we every now and then need to just take a step back and look at ourselves and say, am I as serious about my faith as Cornelius was about his? And if not, why not? Why am I as a true believer in Christ not as serious as a man like Cornelius or a Mormon or a Jehovah Witness or, dare I say it, someone who believes in Islam? Why am I not as serious? And maybe it's this. Maybe we have allowed the world to pull us and shape us, our thinking, and our priorities, 
and we know we're saved, and we know we're on our way to heaven, so I don't have to go overboard and put the same effort into my religion as others. If you're not careful, if we're not careful, still talking to believers, if we're not careful, we'll allow our love for the world to be stronger than our love for God. Cornelius, the opposite, obviously, was true. He, with the best he knew, loved God. But Cornelius was lost. He was devout, lost. Serious about the things of God, lost. Loved God, lost. Loved the things of God, lost. Prayed to God, lost. Gave money to the causes of God, lost. Didn't, on the inside, truly know God. And it may be, I mean, I don't know all of you. And maybe you're here this morning and you want to live a moral life. Boy, that's a good thing. And you, you love your family. And you love the thought of God. You're not, you're not antagonistic. You love the thought of God. And perhaps you even get that fuzzy feeling at Christmas that we get. And you might even go to church. And you might even be generous with your money, maybe. And you may even pray. And you do all the things on the outside that someone would, says, would say, boy, you're a devout person and you're obviously you're on your way to heaven but there's something that I can't see and there's something that no one else can see and that's your heart that's on the inside and while all these things are good being moral is good and being devout is good and loving God and the thoughts of having good thoughts of God that's good and giving is good all those things are good but can I tell you this not one of those will get a person to heaven they won't because you could go to church every day not just Sundays every day for the rest of your life and miss heaven you could get baptized as brother McCracken would say you could get baptized until you're pruny and miss heaven and you could be as devout as Cornelius and miss heaven and you could be moral and honest and kind and good and giving and miss heaven. And you could pray and fast and miss heaven and you could be the most religious person in this room or in this world and miss heaven. Can I read you John O'Rice's words? Multitudes of people who expect to go to heaven will go to a hell of torment. Thousands of good people, moral people, church members, even church workers, yes, and alas, even prophets, priests, and preachers will find themselves lost when they expected to be saved, condemned when they expected approval, cast out of heaven when they expected to be received into eternal bliss. That's his words. There's a second thing you need to see in chapter number 10, not just Cornelius and his devoutness, but Peter and his dilemma. Before Peter knew anything about 
Cornelius and who Cornelius was, God began to prepare him for this event that's going to change him and it's going to change the world really literally forever. So Peter falls into this trance and God gives him a vision. It's all, it's all written starting in verse number nine. God gives him a vision. Now, if you fall into a trance and, and get a vision, it's not from God. It's pepperoni pizza or whatever. So don't say, I had one the other day. Yeah, I bet you did. I want to hear about it. This was a real vision from God. And in this vision, and you can read there if you want to see all the details, this sheet, a sheet is described as a sheet comes down from heaven. And inside this sheet are all manner of animals, some clean and others unclean, according to Jewish law. OK, and so God says to Peter, rise, kill and eat. Now, Peter had lived his whole life in accordance with Jewish law and Jewish tradition and the ritual law contained in the Old Testament and the guidelines that what a Jew was to eat and not to eat, that it was very clear. Listen to Leviticus chapter 20. Ye shall therefore put difference between clean beasts and unclean, between unclean fowls and clean. Ye shall not make your souls abominable by beast or by fowl or by any manner of living thing that creepeth on the ground, which I have separated from you as unclean. So Peter had never eaten unclean ant. No bacon. How do you live? <laughs> Peter never had it. He never had it unclean. He's kosher, the word they use now. The thought that he would even think about. The thought that he would even think about eating it. That was too much for him. He says, not so, Lord. This sounds like Peter now, doesn't it? God gave him this vision, eat. No. Not me. God does this three times. That sounds like Peter too. Three times. Each time, no, no, God, you know, I don't eat that. Chapter 10, verse 15. What God hath cleansed, thou shalt not call common. So there was obviously more to this vision than clean and unclean animals. God was showing him something far more important. He's saying this, Peter, listen, from now on, there's no unclean people. There's no clean and unclean people. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. Everyone can come to me. That was the point. Peter understood now, you found yourself in the same kind of dilemma as Peter, thinking in your heart as you look at certain people's box. That person can't get saved. You've done that. They'll never respond to the gospel. Not that druggie. Not that homeless guy. Not that abuser. Not that sinner. Not that girl, not that wicked person, not my neighbor. If you knew my neighbor, you would know. Peter was prejudiced. He thought salvation was only for Jews until he finally got down to verse number 28. God hath showed me, he said. It took three times, but I got it. There's no difference. Just aside. 
Has God showed you anyone? Brother Ted, you don't know who I work with. They're so vile. They're so wicked. They curse and every word and thought out of their mouth seems wicked and vile and immoral. Maybe God's showing you something. Maybe God's showing you that person. That relative that doesn't want to hear one more invitation to church or hear you talk one more time about Jesus. Maybe God is showing you that person or that person from that poor neighborhood that doesn't have the things maybe you have, the nice clothes that you have. Maybe, maybe God wants to show you somebody or is salvation only for, like Peter thought, certain people who look and act like me. Maybe God's trying to show all of us something. Good, moral people need to be saved. Church members need to be saved. Wicked, sinful people need and can be saved. The gospel's not for a select group for who look a certain way or act a certain way or believe a certain way. Peter is shown by God. Listen, all men can be saved. And he went and he showed up at Cornelius's house. Well, what did he preach to Cornelius? Now, Cornelius, you just keep doing what you're doing. No, that ain't what he said. Now, Cornelius, you need to follow the commandments. No. Cornelius, you need to be circumcised. No. Cornelius, you need to follow this tradition or that tradition. Cornelius, you need to do this and do that. Cornelius, you need to do this. No, that's not what he preached to Cornelius. He preached verse number 43. Through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Amen. Now, if you don't know Jesus... And you don't have the peace in your heart that comes by knowing your sins are forgiven. I'm not here to tell you that you need to keep the Ten Commandments. You couldn't anyway. That's not what we're here to tell you. I'm not here to tell you you need to join this church, even though I'm prejudiced and think you should. I think this is the best church that I've ever in the world. But joining it's not going to get you anything. I'm not even going to tell you you need to get up here and, and swim around for a while in the baptistry. And I'm not going to tell you you need to do this or follow this code or be a good Baptist or, 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 or here's a book on stuff to learn and you're going to go through this ritual or this process. None of those things. Yeah. Well, all we're here to tell you is the same thing Peter told Cornelius. Whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Amen. Whosoever. Amen. What's that word mean, Brother Ted? Um, everybody, Amen. anyone, Amen. Jews, Gentiles, whosoever, black, white, brown, whosoever, good people, wicked people, whosoever, religious people or anti-religious people, whosoever, rich people or poor people, whosoever. In other words, whosoever, it's just you. God included you in this verse and he said you could be saved. For us, then, the dilemma is solved, just as it was for Peter. Peter, anybody can come to me. Peter, there's no clean and unclean. So we saw Cornelius' devout 
Peter's dilemma, this last thing, God's decree. We know what God's decree is. God's decree in this passage is there's no common or unclean. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. Whosoever will can come. God, as it says, is no respecter of persons. In other words, it doesn't matter who you are. Cornelius was a man that God had given some light. And Cornelius responded. Then God sent Peter uh, to give him more light. And Cornelius responded to that. And he came to a saving knowledge of Christ. But can I tell you, if Cornelius would have rejected Peter's message and just gone on being religious and moral and good and leading his family in what we would say is the right way and praying and giving alms. If Peter had just gone on doing all those good things, Peter or Cornelius would not be in heaven today. There's also a decree from God that goes like this. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us a glimpse into the future. And he describes a scene that will take place someday. Jesus called it that day. A time when the dead, small and great, will stand before him. Small and great just simply means those who are famous and those who aren't famous. Important or not important. They all will stand before him and they're going to evidently make their case before God. And they're going to say something like this. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name, we've cast out devils. And in thy name, we've done many wonderful works. And the decree of God is this. I never knew you. Depart from me. He's just saying what we've been saying. It doesn't matter what you are on the outside. I got glasses at work. I can see on the inside. I can see men's hearts and all the religious activity, all the praying, all the church attendance and church membership and baptism with all things that we promote and are good things and all the moral living and all being good and doing good deeds, all those things that we should do because we're believers don't gain us righteousness. One of the most infamous characters in the Bible is Judas. I mean, just to this day. Does not that name, is it not synonymous with betrayal, treachery? You can just say, that guy's a Judas. Everybody knows what you mean. <clears throat> but that isn't how he looked. That's not how he looked to his comrades. That's not how the disciples, the other disciples viewed him. Did you ever read and, and take note that Judas was never under suspicion? Even after the events in the upper room when he left early, no one ever thought Judas may be guilty of something. No one ever doubted Judas or his sincerity. No one dreamed that Judas might be pilfering from the bag, the money. Because from the outside, Judas was one of the good guys. From the outside, he was, he was cheerleading alongside all the other disciples and, and he was preaching and, and he was following and he was doing what all the other disciples did and he was shoulder to shoulder with the rest of them on the outside. 
But the outside doesn't always reflect what's on the inside. Can I ask you this? Do you know him? And I don't, I'm not asking how good you are or how devout you are or how religious you are or how many times you go to church or what church that you're a member or have you been baptized or do you give? I'm not, I'm not asking any of those things. In other words, I'm not asking what do you look like? What's your box like? I'm asking you, do you know him? Because even a man like Cornelius needed to be saved. He needed to be born again. And all the good things that he had done and was doing were good, but didn't get him into heaven. Because you could be the best church member the world has ever seen. The most moral, good person that's ever walked the face of the earth and miss heaven. Believers, this speaks to us too. Because sometimes we look at people on the outside and we just write them off. No, not that one. They're too wicked, too hard, too set in their ways. They're obviously this, they're obviously that. They don't want to hear this and they would never respond to that. Maybe we all need a little bit of Peter's vision. God's no respecter of persons. And the moral person like Cornelius, he needs to be saved in the exact same way, the most wicked person you could possibly come across. Maybe God's shown you someone, one of the whosoever's that you know. Maybe God's spoken to your heart this morning. If you don't know Christ as your Savior and you're thinking about or relying upon your own goodness, it's not going to get you anywhere or your church membership, or anything else. The question is, do you know him? Has there been a time you received Christ as your Savior? If not, this morning, we want to give opportunity for you to come, and we'll have a man or a woman take a Bible into a, into a private room and just show you what the Bible says, and this morning you can leave this place as saved as Cornelius, as saved as Peter, as saved as anyone who's ever been saved, you can this morning. Well, Brother Ted, I've done some terrible things. Yeah. I've, I've broken God's laws. I've broken the Ten Commandments. I haven't been good. Yeah. Notice, none of that's important. It's do you know him? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to give a time of invitation. Before I do that, I would like to ask this question. Who would say this, Brother Ted, I'm not everything I'm supposed to be for sure. And I'm not even everything I want to be. But I know this, there was a time I received Jesus as my Savior. There was a time I got saved. And I know I'm on my way to heaven, not because I'm good, but because I've received Christ. If that's your testimony, would you raise your hand? Just in testimony, aren't you glad? Yes, all over. Amen. Thank you. Is there any who would say, Brother Ted, I, 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 don't, I don't understand or I, I, I'm not saved. I've never either heard that or I know I've never done that. I've never received Christ. I don't have the peace that comes. I'm concerned about it. I would want you to just pray for me. 
Is there one that say, Brother Ted, pray for me. I'm not sure about this thing of salvation, but I'm concerned. Would you pray for me? If you'll just raise your hand, I'll know who to pray for here in a minute. And I promise, yes, sir, I see your hand. I promise I'll pray for you. Any others? Pray for me, Brother Ted. I'm concerned about it. I've been good, maybe a church member, done good things, been baptized, but don't genuinely know. Yes, sir, I see your hand. Thank you. Any others? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for speaking to hearts this morning. And there may be those who didn't raise their hand who still are struggling with this. They're not sure of their salvation. I pray that during our time of invitation here, that they would come and let us take a Bible, show them how to be saved. They could, they could leave this room with a peace that comes, a peace that passes all understanding, that comes by knowing your sins are forgiven. You're on your way to heaven. So if you've spoken to hearts, I pray they'd respond. And for us who are believers, you've spoken to my heart. For one thing, I want to be as, I want to be as devout as those who don't know Christ. And I don't want to look at others on the outside and make judgments about whether or not they'd respond to you. Or... No respecter of persons is what you said. So I, I'm, I'm praying that you've spoken to hearts in some way. Would you have your will in this time of invitation? In Jesus' name.